You know, sometimes we think we know someone. Isn't that correct? And we really, we really don't know who they are. And, and that may be the case with, with Jesus. Now, I know that I thought I knew him a long time ago. I, years and years and years ago, I, I thought I knew him. Now, you may have been in the same situation, in the same boat that I was in, but I just figured I knew him and I knew everything I needed to know about him. But, you know, the more I read of, in God's Word, the more I see what he has to say and the more I see his life, the less I think I know about him and the more I want to know about him. In Matthew chapter 22, there was a, a group that had come together. They were called Pharisees and lawyers and priests. And they were in a conversation with Jesus. And they were trying to figure out who he was. And they, they just really they, they couldn't make it out. And uh, they, they asked him that question. Who, whose son are you? Who are you? And in, in John chapter 8, verse 25... They asked the question again. Jesus was among this group and they, they said, Who are you? Who is this son of man? Who, who are you? Now he didn't respond to that. But later on, he did, he did tell us who he was. And it might surprise you who he said that he was. Somebody's going to say, Well, he's Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Do you know that in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is never referred to by himself, as Jesus Christ. Mark refers to him that way as he goes back and discusses him a little bit, but he doesn't say, I'm Jesus Christ. He doesn't use the term concerning himself until it was finally, he prompted Peter to say it. But basically, the, the question was still floating around. Who are you? Who are you? And even after he rose from the dead, there was a fellow by the name of Saul. You remember him. His name was changed later to Paul, the great apostle Paul. But at one time his name was Saul as he started out. Now, he was, he was, a, he was an enterprising, energetic man, probably in his 30s. And in all likelihood, he was aware of who Jesus was. Because he was high up in the hierarchy of the Jewish faith. And so he, he fraternized with those who knew something about every movement in that country. So when John the Baptist was out baptizing, I'm sure that Paul or Saul was there and knew what was going on. And he probably followed with great interest what was happening with Jesus and his followers. Who couldn't? They knew what was going As a matter of fact, he later said this thing was never done in a, in a corner. Everybody knew what was going on. So Saul, in all likelihood, knew what was happening. But it, it didn't seem to faze him. He decided he, he, was going to, he was going to persecute those who believed that Jesus was the Christ and he had resurrected. And so he'd actually gone to the, he'd gone to the trouble of, of making sure that everyone knew that he stood with the Jews and against Jesus and that he approved of the death of Stephen, the first man that was killed because of preaching Jesus in, in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. And he held the coats of the young men who stoned 
Stephen to death. And he, he was so inter, enterprising that he decided he was going to just follow this group around and stamp them out. So he'd, he'd, he'd done that in, in the area that he lived, which is around Jerusalem. And he said, this is not enough. I'm going to go to other towns, and I'm going to bring people that believe in Jesus, and I'm going to bring them back in, in chains. I'm going to put them in prison. So he got warrants, what we would call warrants. He got letters, warrants from the, from the chief priest, the high priest, authorizing him to go get these people and bring them back and put them in prison. And on his way, a bright light shone around about him in Acts chapter 9. We remember the story, don't we? And, and Saul fell to his feet, and you know what he asked? He said, who are you? Who are you? Let me tell you, he, this statement in the New Testament, who are you, is an, an elliptical statement. Does everybody know what an ellipsis is? Am I pronouncing it right? An ellipsis? It means that you skip, you skip everything that's in the in the con, contest of a, a con, context of a sentence because it's understood. It's understood. What Saul was saying, what they were saying when they were talking to Jesus, they weren't just saying, "Who are you?" They are saying, "Who are you to tell me what to do?" That's the ellipsis. Who are you to get into my business? Who are you to tell me whether I'm right or wrong? That's what they're asking. That's what Saul said. Who are you? What gives you the right to stop? I'm on my way. Who are you? And that's what they were asking when Jesus was alive. Who are Who do you? Well, we would say it this way. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That's what... Saul, and you know what Jesus said? I, I'm Jesus whom you persecute, and it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The goads. They used to make a, an ox go by taking a sharp pointed stick and sticking them in the tendon of their back of their foot and make him go. And, and we used to do that with mules too. Get them to go. And now they use hot shots and they, they get the cow to move and a horse to move and whatever. But Jesus said, I'm Jesus. And you know what? It wasn't. It took took Saul three days to finally get it in his head who Jesus was. He finally realized, you can tell me what to do. And he he told Ananias in the in the town of Damascus. He said, go go find this fellow Saul and, and bring him in. And Ananias said, hey wait, this guy's got warrants. He's going to take us to jail. And Jesus said, I, I I'm, I've already talked to him. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. That's who Jesus is. I'm going to tell him what he has to do. Well, there's no doubt that when Jesus is on this earth, somebody says, well, who did he say he was? He said he was God. John chapter 10 at verse 30 said, I and my father are one. I'm God. And uh, he, he, but he, but he, never, he never called himself Jesus Christ. He never used that term. But he did He did recognize that there are some people who would know this. You know, there are four times in the New Testament where people kind of dawned on them and said, I know who this is. This is the Christ. You know, Andrew, in John chapter 1 at verse 41, it's, the record, it's recorded. Andrew 
went to the baptism of, of Jesus with John, and he came running back to his brother, and he said, Hey, I have found he that is called Christ. John chapter 1, verse 41. Andrew figured it out. And then when Jesus was going between Judea and Galilee, it was about a 70-mile trip between Judea and Galilee where Jesus was born and grew up and down to Jerusalem where he was doing a lot of work. In that area, there were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans were sort of mongrel Israelites because they'd been carried away into captivity and they came back kind of drifting back but couldn't prove their genealogy. And that's something people are very concerned about, isn't it? I need to know who I'm from. And that's part of this lesson, by the way. Anyway, there was a woman at a well and Jesus came up to her in John chapter 4 and he said, "Uh, Can you give me some water? And it stunned her. You're, you're a Jew and you're asking me for water? You know the reason why is because the Jews said everything that the Gentile or someone who was not a Jew touched, they put these little, little uh, what do we call them, cooties? Germs, Gentile germs. Did you know that's what they thought? That if somebody touched a plate or a cup or anything that was not completely purified ceremonially, that it had germs of the devil on it. And if you touched it and you drank from it, you'd be contaminated. And so she said, what? You're asking me? And Jesus, then they got into discussion. And pretty soon the woman realized, when he told her about her past, she realized that he was the Christ. And she went back to town and she said, I have found him that is called the Christ. John 4, verse 29 got all the gang together and they came back out and, and they came back to talk to him. The town did, came out and they were talking to him and he was telling them things and he healed some of them and he taught them. And before you know it, they were all recognizing that he was the Christ. Matter of fact, that's what the text says in verse 42 of John chapter 4. They said, now we believe he's the Christ, not because you told us. They didn't care whether the woman told him or not. They said, we believe that he's the Christ because we've seen it. We've seen him. When Peter and the apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were with Jesus, he asked them a question. He said in in Matthew 16, 16, he said, Who do men say that I, now listen, that I, the Son of Man, am? That's, That's a key. Who do men say that I, and he tells them who he is, I, the Son of Man, say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Peter, pardon because man, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven... And he mentioned it one more time, Peter did one more time in, in John chapter six sixty nine, when uh, the people had come to get the bread and so forth and come to follow him and, and he was talking about being the bread of life and some of the people turned away and said, we can't, we can't, we can't stomach what he's saying anymore because it's confusing us. And, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, would you go away also? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You only have the words of eternal life. And then he said, you are the Christ. 
He, he admitted it again. And when Jesus was standing before the high priest before his crucifixion, they asked him the question. They said, tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the chosen one? And he said, you said it. Kind of like we'd say, you said it, brother. You said it. So he admitted that. But I'm here to tell you, that's not what he called himself. He did not call himself Christ. That's not the term he used. He used the term, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. Well, the Father said, He's my beloved Son. That's what the Father called Him. The demons, the devil in particular, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, the devil took Him up on, uh, took him up on the temple and He said, Cast yourself down. If you're, the, if you're the Son of God, He said, If you're the Son of God... Angels will swoop you up, lest you should dash your foot against a stone. And he said, if you're the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Then he said, he took him on a high mountain, he said, if you're the Son of God, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all this. So the devil, you know what? The devil knew who he was. He said, you're the Son of God. And Jesus, Jesus left him there. When Jesus cast out the unclean spirits in in Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, one of them screamed out and said, We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He recognized who he was. The leper, the first man that was cleansed of leprosy, in Matthew chapter 8 at verse 2, said, came to him and called him Lord. Called him Lord. And, and so did the uh, fellow that was cured of, prof, of palsy in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. You remember the story? Jesus was in town. He was healing people. He was in a house. And there were some folks that came and couldn't get in the house to get to Jesus. So they went up on the roof and they tore a hole in the roof. <laughs> Would you let somebody tear a hole in your roof? Well, they did. They opened that roof up. And they led a man who had palsy down among them. And Jesus looked at the man and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And that irritated everybody sitting around that was of the Jewish persuasion. They said, Whoa, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up your bed and walk. Notice what he said. He didn't say, I am the Son of God, therefore, no, he said, that you might know that I, the Son of Man, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. There was, a, there was another fellow that uh, had some problems. Uh, he was a centurion. He wasn't a Jew, he was a centurion. And he had a servant. You remember him? And the servant was sick and had palsy and other problems. And the centurion got the Jewish leaders together, the, the priests and the Levites and so forth, got them together because he thought he could get, get, get them to do something for him. He said, go, go talk to Jesus and have him come heal my servant. 
And so they said, as a matter of fact, they were so impressed with this centurion that they went to Jesus and said, this guy's built us a synagogue. Can't you come help him? And it wasn't because he built the synagogue. It was because Jesus had sympathy and empathy in his heart. He loved him. And he sent the centurion and he, he told him that his servant would be healed. And, and the centurion called him Lord. So there were different ones calling him different things. But basically, Jesus was calling himself the Son of Man. And he told his followers, and let me tell you real quickly. The term Son of Man in the New Testament is found about 84 times. Four times it's found from the book of Acts through the book of Revelation. Only four, four times. Eighty times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Seventy-nine of those times is when Jesus said it himself. Called himself the Son of Man. So, when, when we say... Who is Jesus? We're on very solid ground by saying, He's the Son of Man. He called Himself Son of Man. That's who He called Himself. He told the followers that came after Him, you remember they, they said, uh, and the, the account is found in Matthew chapter 8 and, and verse 20, they said, we're, we're gonna, we want to know where you're living, so we're going to follow you home. Has anybody ever done that to you? Followed you home? And said, okay, come to my house. Some of us would say, wait until I get it cleaned up. Then you can come see me. Don't, don't, don't just drop in on me. These, these fellows said, Lord, we're going we're gonna to come with you. Come where you are. We want to know where you live. And Jesus said, the foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's talking about himself. He's an important man, but he said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When he was questioned about the Sabbath, and they said they were accusing him of breaking the Sabbath, you know what he said to them? In Matthew chapter 8, and at verse, or Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, I mean, he said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also. He said, the Son of Man controls the Sabbath. Now that was stunning to them. When he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am the Son of Man, then they told him. Now, this term Son of Man is not new in the New Testament. It was the term used concerning Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a long book. It's a long prophetic book. But it's very, it's very interesting. My goodness, it's interesting. The first part of it especially. Because in the first two chapters, actually the first three chapters, God is in a, in a dialogue with Ezekiel, and he's saying, Ezekiel, son of man, he calls him. Ezekiel, son of man, I'm going to send you to my people, and I want you to tell them. And then he told him what he wanted to tell them. And he said, and they're hard-headed, and they're hard-hearted, and they won't listen to you, but I'm going to make your head harder than their head. And you better go. Well, why did he call him the Son of Man? Why did he call Ezekiel the Son of Man? What he told Ezekiel was, he said, now listen, Ezekiel, 
I'm not sending you to people of a strange tongue. I'm not speaking, I'm not sending you to a different nation. I'm not sending you to people you don't know. I'm sending you to my people, Israel. He's calling Ezekiel the son of Israel. You know that? Can you get that? He's calling him the son of Israel when he calls him the son of man. He's not calling him the son of all men. He's calling him the son of these men. The son of Israel. So when we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about him being called the son of man, we're not calling him, we're not saying he's the son of Italy. We're not saying he's the son of Africa. We're not saying he's the son of Australia. We're not saying he's the son of Europe. What are we saying? He is the son of man. And that's what he calls himself. Ezekiel was the son of man, but he was limited in the men that he was the son of. Ezekiel was a representative of his people and one that God was going to hold responsible. And he said, I'm going to send you to them and I want them to get straight. I want them to get corrected. That's right. He was a spokesman for God. But he was a man. The Israelites had sent their, had their representation, their representative, who was Ezekiel, who was talking to them in particular. He wasn't talking to anybody else. He was not sent to anybody else. But when we call Jesus the Son of Man, you know what? He's talking to everybody. He's everybody's representative. He's yours and mine and everybody else. He's the one that represents the very best that we are. That's, that's what Jesus is. The scribes ask for a sign. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, they, they wanted a sign. They wanted to know, Jesus said he was the Son of Man. They said, give us a sign. Give us some assurance who you are. He said, I'm just going to give you the sign of, the son of, son of, 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 the sign of Jonah. Who is three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the uh, heart of the earth. And as he began to as he began to make his way to the cross, he used this term more and more, Son of Man. And the text that we read a while ago was, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know." then you shall know who I am when you lift up the Son of Man. Our question is, who is the Son of Man? Who is he? Why is he using that, that expression? The Hebrew is ben Adam, ben Adam. Ben means, means son. Adam means man, son of man. That's Hebrew. The Bible, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The Aramaic is bar nashan. Which means the same thing. But when he uses the term man, he's not using the gender male. He's using the term human. He's using the term human. And so when we look at the Greek, and the, and the New Testament was written in the Greek, it is the word hoios anthropos. You know what anthropology is? Study the human being. So he is the son of human beings. Now, 
I'm, I'm going to talk about something real quickly, and I, I want to, to try to assuage some problems that I have with this subject. Because when I, when I begin to talk about this, it, it, it gets to me. So I may have to stop, but it gets to me. We had an appointment with, with God. Humanity had an appointment with God, and God had an appointment with us at the cross. Now, when God sent his son, he said on two distinct occasions, and one in which people didn't really understand what he was saying, but he did speak just before Jesus died on the cross. On two specific occasions, he said, this is my beloved son. He looked down and he said, Bill, you be careful what you do with him because he's my son. You know, if, if one of my children handed their grandchild over to me and said, take care of this child, you know what I'd be thinking? Not only do I love that kid, but I've been thinking, I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful. Jesus, God said, this is my beloved son and I love him. So I would think, if, if he's in my hands, I'd think... I'd better be careful. I better make sure I I better make sure that I treat him right. And he said it again in Matthew chapter 17 when Peter, James and John went up on the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before them and and uh Peter woke up and he saw Jesus talking to Abraham and Moses and and he said, "Oh Lord, he says, it's good for us to be here. Let, let's make three temp, three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for well, Elijah, <laughs> not Abraham, Elijah. And he said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Hear ye him. Now, God sent his son, and he knew that that son was going to die on Calvary. And he knew what people were going to do to him. But he sent him anyway. And he and he was from heaven. He was watching the whole, the whole panorama. He was watching what was happening. And he could have stopped at any time. That's right. He could have stopped at any time. Remember Noah. The world, according to Matthew, according to Genesis chapter six, verse thirty-three, thoughts of men's heart were evil continually. God said, I, "I'm not going to have any more of this." He wiped the whole world out and saved eight people. He was disgusted with us. But then he said, no, I'm not going to do that again. So instead of that, he sent his son down here to to bring me home. He sent his son to say, Bill, you're worth it. You're worth what I'm going to let my son suffer for you. You're worth it. Because if I don't send him, you'll never come home. You will never come home. And so, the father looked down and he watched. And he watched these fellows abuse him physically. He watched these fellows abuse him emotionally. He watched these fellows abuse him orally. 
He watched people dance around him, the guards dance around him, these brutal men slapping him, spitting on him, a crown of thorns and shoved it down on his head, mocking him. He is the Son of God, the Son of glory, and guess what we're doing to him? We're, we're, we're taking care of him. We're, we're going to be, abuse him. And you know what they were saying? They were saying, and what they were thinking, they are saying, hey, if you're the Son of God, he wouldn't let us be doing this. He wouldn't let us do this. If you're the Son of God, that's what they said. They danced around the bottom of the cross and said, if you're the Son of God, get down. Come down. And yet God watched and said, I've got, I've got to let him do this. I've got to let him do it or I can't get these folks home. I can't get them back. And so that's why he did it. Now, I know this. I couldn't do that. If I had a son or a grandson and, and people were abusing him and I, I could just stood by, I couldn't do it. Matter of fact, God had to turn his face around and heaven was, earth was dark for three hours while his son died. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's why he couldn't die. He was in the presence of life. He couldn't die. Well, how about us? We humans sent Jesus to the cross. You know, he is the son of man. You know what that means? That means he's the very best that we have to offer. He's the very best. So as we got together in a delegation, we said, okay, somebody's going to have to take a whipping for me. So you know what? You know who I'm going to send? Well, I'm going to see if I can find Adolf Hitler and I'll send him. Because he deserves to get whipping. I'm going to find the worst rascal on earth and say, here, whip him. Make him pay for my sins. But no, we took the very best that this earth had, the Son of Man, and we said, take him. You know, I like to think, and I'm sure you do too, I'm, I'm just going to guess this with you. I think you think that if you had been there, you would not have turned your back on Jesus. Have you ever thought that? What if I had been there? Would you, would you go with him? The apostles, his closest friends, didn't go with him. You know, sometimes we see pictures, movies, documentaries of soldiers, warriors. And they've, they've got a warrior buddy that's going into the heat of battle. And they say, he's not going to go by himself. We're going to go with him. And they group up and they go with him. When Jesus was starting for the cross, who grouped up to go with him? Who said, hey, if you have to go, you know what Peter said? He said, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, you will deny me. Every man will deny me. And Peter said, I'm not going to deny you. I won't deny you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before this is all over. I'm going to ask you a question. You think you would go with him to the cross? You think you would have stood up and said, hey, this is the Son of Man. 
This is, I've heard it myself, this is the Son of God. I'm going with him. If you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna whip him, you're gonna have to whip me too. Whip me first, as a matter of fact. I'm gonna stand up. Stand up for my brother. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question. Where was that centurion whose servant was healed? Why wasn't he there? Where was that leper? Where was those ten lepers? You know what a leper was? A leper was a fellow that man or woman that they shut the gates on in the cities and said, you stay outside these gates and you don't come into contact with anybody. And their friends and family would take food outside the gates and put it out where they could get it. And you know what they did with the dishes? They destroyed them. Why? Because that leper's unclean. They had to hold her hand over their mouth and cry, unclean, unclean, when they came close to anybody. There were ten of these fellows that Jesus healed and put them back in society. Where were these guys? Why weren't they there and saying, Lord, we're with you. If they're going to, if they're going to do something to you, they're going to do something to me too. You say, well, where were you, Bill? And I'm going to say, well, you know what? I'm going to say, if he's the son of God, he won't let that happen. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, well, let's see how this thing plays out. I'm going to say, well, I, I don't want anybody to know that I'm part of this because I'm afraid of what's going to happen to me if they get wind of this, that I'm part of it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do just like they did. I'm going to let him go by himself. You would too. You would too. Don't, don't ever ask yourself that question without realizing that, that you're not going to go with him. What about Lazarus? He, he was raised from the dead. Where was Lazarus? Where was the man or the woman standing with Jesus and saying, we're with him? There should have been a veritable army that came with him and said, if you're going to do something to our Savior, our Lord, our God, you're going to have to do it to all of us. Jesus, by himself, walked to the cross. Tried to carry his cross by himself, but he couldn't. Somebody, somebody carried it, but not because he wanted to, because he was pressed into service. And when he got, got to the cross, who acknowledged him? Well, the thief finally said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Kind of late, wasn't it? How does the term Son of Man describe Jesus in the Bible? Now what I'm telling you is that, that when He called Himself the Son of Man, He is the very best that man has to offer. You say, well, that means He's all human. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying He's the best individual who ever has lived on the face of this earth. The best person ever. He is the Son of Man. And if I were to send a delegate, if I had a, if I had a, a controversy with someone, and uh, like I'm, a, I'm a, with a group of teachers, and I want to raise, we're going to send a delegate, we're going to send the best person we can think of to go plead our cause. Isn't that right? If I feel like I, I'm, I need something and I have to have something and I, I'm being abused, I'm going to find someone who can represent me. Well, Jesus is our representative. He's the one that stands in, 
before God and says, I'm here representing them. And you know what happened to him? God laid upon him the iniquities of us all. He said, he said I'm going to let my son be punished because of the honorary character you are. It doesn't make any difference what you've done. My son is going to take it for you. And I'll accept that. Let's take a look at the book of Daniel real quick. I, I don't want to press too far on this. But in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel had a vision. He had a dream in chapter 7. And he saw four kingdoms. And they're described initially. Uh, he, he described the first one as a lion with eagle's wings. Then the next one was, was a bear with three ribs in his mouth. Then a leopard with four wings. And then a beast with ten horns. Now he, he was talking, he's talking about the Babylonian Chaldean Empire, the Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and finally the Roman Empire. And he said right at the end of this, after he got, he got the vision, he said, I beheld it, verse 9, till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. He said, I saw, I saw the Ancient of Days. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands and thousands ministered. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set. The books were opened. I beheld because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke. I beheld till the beast was slain, his body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were proclaimed for or prolonged for a season and time. Then he said, And I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. Here's the key, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. All people, nations, and languages should serve him. He is the Son of Man. He represents the best that man has to offer. And he is the head of his family. He's the head of his family. Now look in Galatians chapter 3. Someone says, well, you know, uh, when Christ comes, he's going to sit on a throne back in Jerusalem because he was promised, the Messiah was promised to the Jews. And so he's going to go back and sit on his throne in Jerusalem because the Son of Man is the Son of the Jews. And you know what? That story has gone on and on and on and on. The Jews rejected him and said, no, he's not, he's not our representative. But that story has gone on among denominational churches until finally they're, they're, they're singing the same song. They're saying Jesus is not the Son of Man. Now they won't say that in particular. But what they are saying is, that Jesus is the son of the Jews. The son of the Jewish nation. And so we're looking forward to the time when Jesus is going to come back and take up his throne in Jerusalem and all the Jewish nation is going to, going to be in, in control of the rest of the world. Now that's, that's what's being taught. Jesus did not say, I'm the son of the Hebrews. He did not say, I'm the son of the Europeans, I'm the son of the Grecians. He said, I'm the son of man. Son of man. Now what happens? 
In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which had afterward to be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we should be justified by faith. After the faith has come, we're no longer under schoolmaster. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if we are one in Christ Jesus, I can't look at you and say, hey, I've got blood in my veins that gives me, gives me a, a little better standing with Jesus. I'm, I'm from American Indian heritage. I have a little bit of European in me too. And maybe some Latino. I have all these things. So Jesus, but, but you're going to look at me and say, wait a minute. Jesus is the Son of Man. And if we're in Christ, we're all one. Jesus is, is the greatest equalizer. He's the greatest, what, what the modern society now calls egalitarian. He makes everyone equal. So it doesn't make any difference what your genealogy is. It doesn't make any difference where you came from. It doesn't make any difference what ethnic background you have. It doesn't make any difference what language you speak. All tongues, languages, all nations will be under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to be very careful here. I want to say something very carefully. Jesus did not, when He died on the cross, He did not cure all the problems that we have with each other. He didn't. In this world, even though people think they know Jesus, know about Jesus, that doesn't mean that He he cured all the social problems that this world has. There's lots of social problems still left. But in Him, in His body, when we say, Lord, You're our head, when we're in His body, He cures that. If I say I'm better than you because of my background, I'm wrong. Jesus Jesus said we're all the same in Him. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we're a little different. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the difference. There's some of your ears and some of your noses and some of your toes and fingers and so forth. But you're all one body in Christ. And guess who's the head? Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man. And when I recognize that and come into Him, we're all baptized into one body, He says. We all get into one body because we believe in Him. Now, can I hate you? Am I supposed to hate you? Well, I can, but I not with Jesus in my heart. I can't, I can't say snippy things about you either. But, and I can't judge your motives in your heart, and I can't... I can't, I can't say only things about you and I can't curse you. You say, well, you, what do you mean you can't? If I stay in Jesus and as Jesus is in me, I can't do that. And if I expect to stay in Him with you, I have to love you. Matthew chapter 22, isn't it? Verse 39 says, The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. I love my neighbor as myself because Jesus loved me and He is my head and He is in me. 
And that's the only way I can do it. Because some of my neighbors are not nice. And some of your neighbors are not nice either. And you can't do it by yourself. You cannot do that by yourself. Unless Jesus is in your heart and in your life, you cannot love a nasty neighbor. Someone that says ugly things about you. You can't do that. You can't love them without Jesus being there. He will overpower your hatred and your animosity, and he'll substitute that with love. God is love. Jesus is the Son of Man. Thank you for listening to me this morning. We're going to offer an invitation. If you want to respond to it, I'll be here. And if you want to think about it and jump up in the middle of the night, I've got a telephone. Let me know what you want to do with your life in Jesus.